Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. young adults how we doing tonight one more time how are we doing tonight good hey this part actually isn't in the notes and I wasn't really intended uh, on, on saying this but I feel inclined to do so we're gonna get right into this um, some of you came in tonight and this week was was grueling um, this week was difficult you you may have seen some things you didn't think you would see you heard some things uh, you thought you wouldn't have had to hear, and now you, you came in tonight hoping that, that maybe something could change. Um, I just want to stand here and tell you that there is a God in heaven that is for you. And maybe, maybe you came in tonight and young adults wasn't on your schedule. Uh, maybe even Jesus wasn't on your schedule, uh, but one of your pushy friends kept asking you to come, or uh, maybe you just thought, hey, I should probably go tonight. Um, we don't believe in a, a God that just does happenstance things and that things are coincidental. Um, God has something for you to hear tonight. And God is for you, and he wants more than anything for you to stop carrying all this baggage by yourself, but to come to him and, and say, I need your help. So maybe Jesus and young adults and hearing somebody talk about the Bible wasn't on your schedule this week. Um, I can promise you that you were on God's schedule. Um, So you were not here by accident. And uh, let's listen up because God's word um, is powerful. And he has something to say to you as an individual tonight. So let me pray for us and then we'll get into things. Dear Lord, we, we come before you grateful that you're not a God that is distant You're not a a God that doesn't care um, about our lives, but you care so much so um, that you sent your son to die for us, that we might have a relationship with you, and so that all the baggage that we've caused in our own lives, um, Lord, or that we have been victim of, Lord, we can come to you and lay it at your feet. Lord, tonight somebody is here and, and does not know you and does not have a relationship with you. Lord, and you want more than anything for them to discover the joy that is a relationship with you and the forgiveness of Jesus. So God, I pray that over everything that your word would be exalted and that you would uh, speak through me. So God, we humbly come before you and ask that you would move in our lives. We love you. Uh, We expect to do great things because you're a great God. Um, And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So when I was younger, wee little lad, little nugget, There was one thing that was always on my mind, always. I couldn't go to sleep. Uh, I would uh, wake up in the middle of the night, and I would just sit at the edge of my bed and think. And you're like, once you hear it, you're like, dang it, you're probably a traumatized little kid. Uh, It was, what in the world am I going to do with my life? And I remember very vividly, we would go to, uh, or I would go to first grade um, at Tucson International Academy, it's not that prestigious, it's actually in the ghetto. But um, we would do this activity uh, that I, it would always cause me great stress. And, I'm, and you're like, Andrew, you're in first grade, relax. I know, I know. But the task at hand was draw yourself in a career uh, when you were, or th- that you would like to be in when you're an adult. And I remember like, this is the worst thing on the planet Earth. 
Like, they're literally killing me. And so this little kid, we'll give him an alias. His name is Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy was like, this is the best thing ever. So he starts drawing himself, and, and I'm looking at what he's doing, and he, he wants to be an astronaut or thinks he's going to be an astronaut. And I'm like, Jimmy, you got your left shoe on your right foot. You got boogers on your shirt. There's no way you're going to be an astronaut. But I remember being so jealous because I'm like, at least he knows what he wants to do, and I'm over here like, I, I have no idea. And so fast forward, um, when I was a junior in high school, going into my senior year, we would always go to the same summer camp in San Diego. And I remember the vibes were real. Like the West Coast vibes were hitting, right, Logan? Ha. Um, It was legit. You got guys with long hair, surfer bros, mustaches. By the way, if you can grow a mustache here, do it. Because there's people like me that can't. And so we want to live through you. So grow out the stash. But I remember looking at these leaders and I'm like, they're having a huge impact. Like, what if I could become part of that? Like, I, don't, I still don't know what I'm going to do with my life, so maybe I can be a leader. And so I remember them telling us about an application process. And, and I was like, well, I'm technically not old enough, but surely they'll, they'll waive the, the age limit for me. And so lights were out at 1130. So we were all back in our dorms and we were on a college campus. And And I remember my roommate had uh, fallen asleep, and so I was like, you know what? Perfect opportunity. Let me pull out this application. We'll bang it out in like 10 minutes, and then they'll accept me. Um, I started the application process. First of all, I would have been better probably connecting to McDonald's Wi-Fi because this was like the slowest thing in the world uh, to load all of the questions. It wasn't even like a next page. It just wouldn't load the scrolling. This was probably like iPhone three days, but not the point. And so I remember going through this, and each question was, like, deep. It was, uh, well, give us a two to three paragraph, a paragraph, like, of your salvation experience. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. Uh, Two to three paragraphs of your strengths. And I was like, okay, let's get this dog rolling. Then of your weaknesses, and then why we should hire you. Man, I was killing it. I was like, I'm going to put a few Bible verses in here. They're going to be so impressed. They're going to, you're going to wave the fee, and I'm going to be on staff. It's going to be so easy. And I remember two hours later, I'm not joking, two hours later, I finally finished the application, and as I go to push submit, who designed this? I don't know. I go to push submit, and it's right next to the back button. We take five. No, I pushed the back button. Everything gone. Two hours of work, and I'm like, I just worked so stinking hard, and now I'm like, this is, I I heard you, Lord. I'm not supposed to do this. I was so stuck. I didn't uh, fill out the application again, and now I'm in Missouri instead of California, so cool. Um, But I did all of that work, and to the end, just to come up short and realize that all that work pretty much was for nothing, Um, And I wonder if maybe that's the track some of us are on in life right now. Is that we might be working really hard. We might have what we think are good intentions, but there actually is a possibility to live an entire life full of work. Someone could look in and say, wow, he's successful. And you actually come to the end of your life and realize that it was all for nothing. And so the question that we're going to be focusing on this week in particular is where do you find your fulfillment? 
Because there are a lot, and I mean a lot of things out there that are trying to come on the inside of your mind that are telling you what you should focus on, where you should go, what you should be, to whom you should work for, and, and what, why, uh, why you should be working. And all of these are trying to answer the question in your heart and in your mind, where do I find my fulfillment? Is it five years here? Is it 10 years here? Is it once I accomplish this, then will I finally be fulfilled? But I think what's scary that we don't think about is it is possible for, to live our entire life and at the end, it's like we just hit the back button. It was all for nothing. And it's a scary thought because we can achieve everything in the eyes of man and yet gain nothing in the kingdom of God. And so this is a very heavy topic. It's yes, we have an entire life to live and there's so much to gain, but there is also in, in the same hand a lot to lose. And so we, we're going to come to the word of God today and try and, and see if we can wrap our minds around the truth that we find in this scripture. And we're not going to be focusing on one passage or two chapters. We're going to have to run with this, so stay with me. We're going to cover the entire book of Ecclesiastes tonight. Do you think we can do that? Yeah. You guys are like, go ahead. You're the one with the mic. Um, so... First things first, Ecclesiastes, is we're going to uh, identify the author just so we know who's speaking, why he's speaking, and for what purpose. It's, it's actually written by King Solomon, uh, who was an author around 945 B.C., so this isn't 2011. There's a few things that are different. Uh, this isn't 2019. There's a few things that are different. Um, and a brief outline, just so we get an understanding of really what Ecclesiastes is about, is in chapters 1 through 2... There's 12 ch uh, chapters total. In chapters 1 through 2, uh, Solomon is describing for us the search for meaning, which is very applicable. So many of us, even here in this room today, are still searching for meaning in this thing that we call life. And then in chapters 3 through 6 are Solomon's observations of life. And then finally concluding in chapters 7 through 12 is uh, Solomon writes his counsel and his conclusion for his entire book. Now, if you start reading this, please read until the end because you're like, dang, Andrew, this is the most melancholy, depressing book. It is if you don't finish. Chapter 12, it's glorious, beautiful. So hang with me because you might be like, this is the worst thing of encouragement I've ever heard before. Some phrases to be aware of. The word vanity. Everybody say vanity. One more time. Everybody say vanity. This is actually used 35 times uh, throughout the entire book. And this is used to, de to describe the definition of vanity is actually worthlessness. So literally having zero value, no value at all. So what in the world are we going to do with this word vanity? Well, we can't just skip over it because it shows up 35 times. So let's pay attention to every time vanity is being used. And our second phrase is a phrase, under the sun. Everyone say, under the sun. Good. 29 times. Under the sun is used 29 times throughout the uh, entire book of Ecclesiastes. And this is actually used to describe a momentary living that is apart from God. So a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about tonight, we're going to hit on a few chapters um, that Solomon brings to our attention, and all of it is within the context is this is the life you can live apart from God with a here and now mindset, 
As in, I'm born and then I die. There's nothing after and there is no God who's going to guide me through life. There is no God who cares about me. This is the type of lifestyle that Solomon's talking about. So we get to see firsthand Solomon, who's lived a lot of the things that he talks about, give us counsel and a conclusion uh, under the inspiration of God and how we can live a life that is actually worthwhile and how we can find fulfillment. And so we're going to go over five. Everyone hold up number five. Five lifestyles of vanity that uh, Solomon talks about. The first one is pleasure. So we, we see this in Ecclesiastes 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your phone, um, go ahead and turn there. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. It says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. But surely this was, what does it say? Vanity. We get our first look, our first exposure to the word vanity. And what Solomon is doing here is really he's having like an internal dialogue. So we kind of have these from time to time, but maybe don't realize we do. Uh, Oftentimes I'll go to the break room at uh, work and there is a box of St. George's donuts, which are my kryptonite. Cake donuts for sure. If you were a Krispy Kreme person, raise your hand. These are all the people we need to pray for because cake donuts are the goat. Um, and you have this internal dialogue, and you're like, do I eat the donut? And you kind of rest your hands on the love handles, and you're like, oh, man, maybe I shouldn't have this donut. But this is an internal dialogue that's, that's going on inside your head, and this is exactly what's happening here, is Solomon is saying, come now, I will test you, talking to himself, with mirth. Mirth is uh, uh, basically another word for pleasure. It says, therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely, this was also Vanity, is he saying, if you live a lifestyle in just the pursuit of pleasure, then at the end of the day, you're going to be pushing the back button. It's going to be worthless. Is that he's saying, apart from God, if you live a life just just seeking to please yourself, to satisfy uh, the the pleasures that you desire, if that's all you're living for, then it's, it's worthless. And I'm so glad that Solomon is so blunt here because we don't have to question. It's like, oh man, but if I do it in such a way, and Solomon's like, no, no, no. If you are living a life under the sun and your only pursuit, your only goal in life is pleasure, then it's worthless. It won't matter. Is that time will come and then time will go. And then at the end of the day, if this is all we have, if if God isn't real and, and this is the end and we're just under the sun, then really it, it's pointless. And what's sad is this is the pursuit of our society, is, is it does not take us long to look out and see that people are longing for something. There's this God-shaped hole in their heart, and instead of maybe running to, the, to God who can really satisfy What we do as humans, what I have done as a human, is we try and satisfy our own hearts with pleasure. Is we think if we get enough of this, if we get enough attention from this person, if we cross the boundaries that we know that God has set before us, maybe it can actually be enough to satisfy the dissatisfaction that's occurring in my heart. And Solomon's saying, this is a waste of a life. That a life in pursuit of pleasure, and actually in the context of this passage, it really is, he's talking about a sensual pleasure. If, if this is what your life is about, and you think that you're going to find some sort of value or some sort of fulfillment through this pleasure, 
it's worthless. It's not worth it. You're going to get to the end, and, and it's like you've lived your entire life for nothing. And really what it is, is this type of lifestyle is elevating pleasure over the promise. Is, is what we see here is somebody who's trying to fill uh, this type of lifestyle. They're trying to fill the, the lack of hope that they have in their heart with pleasure. And instead of running to a God who actually has a promise to satisfy you, who wants to give you hope, who wants to give you a brand new life, we instead as humans make the choice to choose pleasure over the promise. So that's a lifestyle of vanity, number one. Number two is wisdom. Flip on over to chapter two, uh, verses 12 through 16. And it says here, then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who succeeds the king? So we know here that Solomon is the king. So essentially the argument he's saying here is, is if I find vanity in this and I'm the king, then everybody else underneath me, let me just save you the heartache. It won't work for you either. And so we continue on reading in, in uh, verse uh, 13. It says, then I saw the wisdom, that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I myself perceived that the same event happens to them all. So what is he doing here? He's saying, it is no doubt, we all know this, it is better to be wise than it is to be foolish. I think we would all say that. He even makes the comparison. It is better to have light than darkness. So let's not get that confused. That's Paul's, uh, or Paul. Solomon's not saying here um, that they are equal. He's actually saying that we know wisdom is, is better than folly. But then he goes on to say, but then I thought, he said, the same event happens to them all. Okay, Solomon, what, what are you talking about here? It says in verse 15, so I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity. Verse 16, it says, for there is no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? The same as a fool. He's saying under the sun, if we're living just for the, the pursuit of intellect, just to be wise in the, in the eyes of man, just so that we can be smart enough to prove something to someone, that we can maybe make a name for ourselves, get a platform, maybe sell a few books, if this is what your life foundation is. The purpose for living is just the pursuit of wisdom. It's vanity. It's meaningless. It's, pur it's without purpose. And he, he makes uh, the comment here that I think a few of us, uh, myself and Pastor Tom, were talking uh, a few, maybe a month ago, and we were talking about how quickly we're forgotten. So we'll do a little exercise here. How many of you guys remember maybe the name, the occupation, hair color, eye color of your great, great grandparents. So not your greats, but one more, your great, great grandparents. Does anyone know of them? No hands in the room. So we're like, dang, we are literally four generations because you go great, great, great grandparents, parents, us. We are that close to being forgotten. That everything we do is actually going to be forgotten in a few generations' time. 
And so what Solomon's saying here is that if your pursuit is merely to gain wisdom so that you can be something in the eyes of man, don't make that mistake because you will die just the same as the fool. You're only a few generations from being forgotten. And so living a lifestyle just in the pursuit of wisdom so that you might make a name for yourself is hopeless. It's worthless. It literally has no value. Now that you guys are feeling encouraged, let's move on to the third one, Um, wealth. So if you turn to Ecclesiastes 4, we're going to read 4 through 8. We're zooming through this, guys. We got this. It says here in verse 4, again, I saw that all toil and every skillful work a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and a grasping of the wind. We're going to do another little exercise. I'm keeping you guys engaged today. Everybody raise your right hand. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to do this before, but on the count of three, we are going to grab hold of the wind. You ready? One, two, three. Here, who got it? Who's got wind? No one. We, We missed it. You open your hand and you realize, well, that was pointless. You're like, that exercise was, I know, I just, I honestly wanted to see if I can fit a woe into the, in the sermon. We checked that. Um, it's pointless. And so what, what is he saying here? He's like, if you work so hard, and what's actually really interesting is he qualifies um, what the working is, is stemmed from. It's actually stemmed from jealousy. So seeing what your neighbor has, the things that you don't have, maybe it's the car they have, the job they have, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the wife, uh, the husband, maybe um, it's just anything that is capturing your eyes that you're like, I want that. I wish that was mine. And so you work your entire life trying to gain that. He's saying it's like grasping the wind. It's meaningless. It's pointless. And even if you were to somehow acquire that, it actually wouldn't satisfy you at its core because we're always going to be looking for the next best thing. We'll read on in verse 5. It says, The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful of quietness than both hands full, together with toil and the grasping of the wind. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. And then in verse 8, it says, there is one alone without companion, uh, without companion. He has neither son nor brother. As this is a man uh, that he kind of tells a story for. He left it very vague. Um, but it was that he worked his entire life to try and acquire what he was jealous of from his neighbors. And when he opened his eyes, he realized that he actually didn't have anything. Everyone was gone. It was just him and all of his possessions. And it was worthless. Meaningless, pointless. Point number four um, is popularity. This is in Ecclesiastes 4, 13 through 16. Verse 13, it says, Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who would be admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king, although he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who walked under the sun There were with the second youth who stand in his place. There was no end of all the people who or over whom he made king. Yet those who came afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this is vanity and grasping of the wind. Popularity. Solomon was king. He had it all. He was the guy. 
There was nobody above him. And what does he say here? All of those who are underneath him really are just going to take his place anyway. Is that he had finally reached the pinnacle of popularity. Everybody knew him. Everybody loved him. And what was his thought process? In years' time, somebody's going to take my place and forget about me. And all of this life in pursuit of popularity is meaningless. Because I'm here and gone. I'm under the sun. If this is all that life is, Solomon's pointing out. If it is a life apart from God, if this is the only life that we have, then a pursuit in popularity is meaningless. Because once you die, somebody will take your place. And then they'll die, and somebody will take their place. It's worthless. It's meaningless. And then lastly, we have a momentary living. The last uh, lifestyle of vanity, momentary living. So flip on over to Ecclesiastes 11, verses 7 through 8. We begin in verse 7. It says, Truly the light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. So what is he saying here? If this is all we got, if this is life under the sun, there ain't, there's nothing after. There is no God who actually cares about us. This is just life under the sun. We're here and gone in a moment. Then living in the moment is actually what we think is very nice and sweet. It's actually utter darkness. Why? Because we're rejoicing in the here and now, but it's good now. Darkness is going to come anyways. You just got an A on your test. You just got a promotion. You're finally in a relationship. Someone in your family is going to die eventually. Yeah, eventually you're going to lose your job and you might get terminally ill. So what's the point in rejoicing in the here and now? Because darkness is going to come anyway. There is no hope in living in the moment apart from God. Because you living life on your own, myself living life on my own, even though I'm having a good moment now, humans mess things up. That's history. That is, that's not even a super religious point. Let's all open up our history books and we'll see how man has jacked things up. I think everybody agrees with that. And so in the here and now, apart from God, there is no point in living in the moment because we're soon going to mess it all up anyways. It's all vanity. It's all worthless. And so you read from chapters 1 through 11, and you're like, Solomon, surely this isn't the end. Like, I really hope that chapter 12 doesn't conclude how the rest of these chapters have, have gone. Because it, it, if that is true, there really is no hope. Like, all is pointless. And maybe you're sitting in here today and you would be able to attest to one of these points. Is you're like, you know what? I did try and chase pleasure. I did try and chase wisdom. I did try, try and chase wealth and popularity. And I did my best to just do me and live in the moment. And yet we sit here tonight still feeling empty. Why? It's because all of that is vanity. It can never satisfy you. It can never fulfill you. And even though the world's message to us is that the pursuit of all these things will bring satisfaction in your heart, we know ourselves that it doesn't satisfy. It can't satisfy. 
because it's here and gone. It's a grasping of the wind. And so Solomon finally gives us in the conclusion of his book some hope. So turn to chapter 11, verses 9 through, and we're going to go through 12, uh, 1. It says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but now that for all these God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. But then it says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the days come. Maybe you guys don't feel like it, but believe it or not, in retrospect and in comparison to our whole lives, everyone in this room is pretty young. We still got years to live. We still got life to live. And so this is a great hope. And so what what is Solomon doing is he's turning our eyes away from all of the vanity away from all of the purposelessness that we find in these lifestyles, and he's saying, you know what? Times are gonna be difficult. You will go through a roller coaster of a life, but if you can find God now, he will be with you in the difficult days. The reality is, is we, we can't do life alone. We know we can't, we've lived it. You don't need somebody to tell you that you are really good at jacking your own life up. I'm really good at messing up my own life. And so what we need is not another self-help. What we need is not a harder pursuit towards any of these things that we've mentioned. What we need is to remember God because he is going to be the one that sustains us. And I know you might be thinking, Andrew, you're not, you don't have years behind you. You don't have experience. I, this, isn't, I'm, this isn't my advice. This is Solomon. Solomon was a king. You're like, oh, did he really understand pleasure? I think he did. My guy had 700 wives. Did he really understand wisdom? One of the stories we know is Solomon asked for wisdom, and he got it. His wealth, if we did a, they did a comparison, is how, how rich would Solomon be in these days and age? Do you, we take a guess. How much do you think? Four thousand, really? You think that's rich? Okay. A college student, help him out. We're going to be, uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, it actually equates to $2.2 trillion. He'd be a trillionaire, a double trillionaire. Solomon knew what it meant to have wealth. Momentary living and popularity, he had those. He was king. There was nobody above him. He had lived the life of these lifestyles of vanity. Solomon is speaking from personal experience. You don't have to take my word for it. But don't fall into the hopelessness yourself. You get an opportunity to choose today what it is you're going to follow. Is it going to be pleasure over the promise? Is it going to be intelligence over the infinite? Is it going to be prosperity over the provider? Is it going to be fame over the father? Is it going to be an event over the eternal? Because if so, your life will be meaningless. You'll get to the end of it all and you realize you wasted it. But Solomon wraps it up beautifully in chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. This is actually the conclusion of the entire book. Thanks for saving it to the end. 
Let us hear, this is verse 13 of chapter 12, let us hear the conclusion of this whole matter. Essentially, he's saying, all right, now enough of that stuff that doesn't really matter. Let's get to the important stuff. This is our hope. He says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Or in other words, the best thing that a human can do is to fear God and keep his commandments. What, is, what does that actually mean? The fear God aspect is this vertical relationship with God. You want to you wanna know why us as humans don't find fulfillment? Is because we were made to have a relationship with the God that created us. All of our pursuits are worthless. They're meaningless. They're vanity. But a God, a relationship with the God who created us is what satisfies our heart. And Solomon really is writing this in a warning for all of the youth. Don't pursue these things. Maybe you have been pursuing them. Stop. It's worthless. You won't have hope. You'll get to the end of your life and realize that you've wasted it all. But instead, begin a relationship with God. We have the choice. What's the message that the world is telling us? Do it yourself. But the message from the word of God is you can't do it on your own. Start a relationship with me. And I'll show you the way to walk. And so there's three questions I want us to ask ourselves really in conclusion of the night. The first is, are you trading the momentary good for the eternally great? Are you satisfied merely with these lifestyles of vanity from hopping from one guy to another, from one girl to another, chasing the next best thing that you think will satisfy your heart? And maybe it does for the moment being, but you will never experience true hope outside of a relationship with God. Are you trading the momentary good for the eternally great? The second question, are you fulfilling your life with vanity and so feeling empty? is we gotta be honest with ourselves tonight. Maybe some of us have a relationship with God, but we've been feeling empty lately. Are you filling your, filling your life with motives and intentions that are vanity? Or is it chasing after the vertical relationship to fear God? Because once you fear God, once you have a relationship with him and you understand how good, how great, how loving and how merciful he is, keeping his commandments is really just an outpour. For all that God has done for you, your heart wells up that you would have the opportunity to serve him. And the beautiful thing about God's commandments, the things he wants for us, is they actually are better for us than anything that we can mark out for ourselves. So maybe some of us do have a relationship with God, but things have been terrible lately. Examine your heart. Be honest. Are you living for vanity or are you living for God? And then the third is to fear God and keep his commandments. It's simple. Solomon wraps it up beautifully. There isn't this elaborate scheme. There isn't this 15-point self-help program and all these DVDs you got to buy. Begin a relationship with God. It's simple. It's not about how many times you've showed up to young adults. It's not about how many times you've been to church. It's not if you have a church background. It's not if you think you've been living a life that's sinless. It's, it's not about where you've come from because right now, Solomon is telling us, choose God. 
You can find hope. We get the choice. Is that we can begin a relationship with God now and to follow his commandments is an outpour of that. But we have to be real with ourselves. Are we chasing vanity? Is it for the the eyes of the people or is it just because we love the Lord? If everyone could bow their heads and close, close their eyes. Tonight we get that choice. Is for us who have begun a relationship with God, we get to choose right now. Are we going to continue to live a life that is just for the pursuit of us, just for pleasure, for wisdom, for wealth, just just so that we could become something in the eyes of man? Or are we going to turn from our ways and start living a life that is solely to please the Lord? You actually get that choice today. And my favorite people in the room For those of you guys who don't have a relationship with God, guys, today everything can change. Have you been carrying baggage? Has it been difficult? Have you feel like in in all of your life efforts, you keep coming up empty? Don't complicate it. Begin a relationship with God. He loves you. He sent his son to die on a cross, not so that you can try and live a life perfect so that one day you could reach him. It's so that he could reach you. And when we start a relationship with God, everything changes. And so if you guys could stand with me. Oh, 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 oh,